Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. Hi, this is Shane Vanderhart. Welcome back to another episode. Today, I want to talk about death. That's not a topic that we generally uh, enjoy talking about. It's actually quite uncomfortable, but it's something that's necessary and something that we need to think about, even as Christians. Uh, And to have that conversation, uh, I I had a, a conversation with uh, Jennifer Gumble, she's an attorney in Southern Minnesota. She calls herself a death lawyer, and and she actually referred to herself on Twitter, where we follow each other on Twitter, as the Dave Ramsey of death. Uh, she writes a website called an Organized Afterlife at anorganizedafterlife.com. So I encourage you to to uh, check that out. She also is with a law firm in Austin, Minnesota, where she does estate planning and things like that. So. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Jennifer. Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. Are you Hi. Hi. Very it's... happy to be here. Good. You caffeinated? You ready for this? Um, I hope so. We'll see. <laughs> okay. So you made you you described yourself in an interesting way on Twitter which piqued my attention and and you, you you know you kind of put yourself out there as someone hey willing to do podcasts because you described yourself as the Dave Ramsey of death. Um, <laughs> so that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. So, so so could you let's drill down on that. What do you mean by that? Well, um, I uh, a little bit of a background. Um, I'm an estate planner. That's my day job. I'm a death lawyer, and uh, I have seen um, and experienced for a number of years just the um, dysfunction we have around the topic of death. Um, Particularly, my industry can be quite dysfunctional, Um, but we have some particularly bad ways that we deal with, confront, not confront death. Um, And so like Dave Ramsey talks about and makes accessible a very uh, difficult topic of debt, what I try to do is make the topic of death a little bit more accessible. Okay. So would you say your industry has been dysfunctional? What, what does that look like? What are some things that you've seen? Well, I think we can have, um, we, we can, um, and I think we probably both have a similar worldview of, of Christian, biblical Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, scripture we're told that we're supposed to consider our days and that makes you wise right um and our culture is extremely uh or the way that that our culture tends to approach death is to completely ignore it um and my industry in order to convince people to deal with their estate planning which is something that that everyone should do we tend to take take the track of looking at money as your legacy and that uh, your legacy is made up in dollar bills, um, estate planning. And that sends the message that estate planning is really only for the wealthy. Uh, And all of these things uh, create a lot of dysfunction um, when we're actually confronted with the death of a loved one. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. People do tend, they don't like talking about it because it's kind of a depressing topic. Nobody wants to think about (laughs) it, but you know, as I don't know who first coined this phrase, but the the only two things are certain in this life are death and taxes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody, unless unless Jesus returns and, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all going to experience it one day. Um, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, our life, uh, my, my, my worldview teaches when I look at Revelation, I don't get into the weeds and end times prophecies or anything like that. But I just like two days that are important um, today and that day when, uh, you know, whether mm-hmm. Jesus returns or I, I go to see Jesus through death. You know, those are the two mm-hmm. things I need to be concerned about. Um, and for, you know, for Christians, that's not something obviously we need to fear. Um, and G- and Scripture tells us that Jesus con- helps us conquer the fear of death. So, yeah, it's something we should uh, definitely have a, as, as believers, should have a different view of death as we approach this. So what are some things, mm-hmm. what's your approach, how is your approach different? Yeah, well, I think... I think as a church, um, and and again, it's I, I kind of blend a little bit of the practical and and the um, more uh, important than practical. Also, another way that I find myself kind of relating to Dave Ramsey mm-hmm. <laughs> is that there's a there there's a practical component and a spiritual component, and in my um, in in the area that I find myself in, I, I see this overlap so much, um, is that our cultural Christianity, which is different than scriptural Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our cultural religious practices um, have had a lot of impact on just our societal views of death. But our societal views of death and our cultural Christianity surrounding death, because we're so uncomfortable with the topic, tends to be not very biblical. Um, I think because we just don't pay attention to it. It's not something we study. Um, if you look at, um, if you look at resources, we have so many resources on a lot of topics on Christian living. Um, it seems like the only resources we have when it comes to Christian dying, um, the Catholics seem to be good at it, and that's that's about as far as the resources tend to go, or at least um, and it, uh, taking the time out to consider what the what what is death, what does Scripture say about death, how do we mourn with those who mourn, and and so we, our our cultural views that that come out when we're at funerals when we're trying to help people grieve are so unbiblical. Um, and we can, it, because of that, I think that explains a lot of the fact that it's dysfunctional and sometimes very hurtful to people in the process. Okay. Um, so what are some things, ways you encourage people to, to consider death and to how, from your perspective, how do we best, you know, mourn with those who are, who, who mourn? I mean, you know, you, the death lawyer, you've probably got a lot of experience <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we tend to veer off into two extremes. Um, one of which is fearing death, mm-hmm. um, and you started started to bring this up. Is is that um, it, those of us who are Christian have a um, have have a particular promise in our you know in our religious practice that we have a promise that there's more, that there's more after death. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the flip side of that though, is 
that there can be a tendency, and I think this is where we get a little dysfunctional, is that we're so focused on not fearing death that we can veer into the danger of minimizing the importance of life. Um, and we can do this in a lot of ways. Uh, we, when we say um, at a funeral um, to the family who's grieving, well, they're in a better place. Um, they're with Jesus now. And yes, all of those things are true, right? Mm-hmm. But, but we veer into a lane of minimizing the, the importance of the life. Right. Um, you know, just because they may be with Jesus and their separate separation with Jesus. And I, you know, I'm not a theologian. Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, a pastor or a theologian really deep dive into this, um, and get their thoughts on this. But as I go through scripture and in my lived experience, it seems to me that the best definition for death is separation. Right. I um, agree. And, you know, Jesus defeated death and the curtain, you know, the curtain tore, the separation was ended. Mm-hmm. But because we're not, you know, we're still in, in the, we're still um, on earth that continues to live under the separation, then we're going to have death. And, Death is a separation, even though we have the promise of being reunited and some of that that um, rectifying what was lost, we still live under the fact that we're going to be separated from our loved ones. And that matters, too. Right. Yeah, it's, it, you know, obviously, so while while the idea of, of and, the, and the fact that those who, who uh, trust in Christ will be with Jesus, will have eternal life, that does bring comfort, but that still doesn't diminish the fact that you know, these people who are grieving still have, you know, they're facing great loss, especially, especially, mm-hmm. especially if it came, you know, unexpectedly. Um, so it, it, it's not something that they, you know, they certainly they don't, that's, I think, bring some comfort, but you can't diminish the fact that, hey, you're, this is loss. It, it stinks. This is part of us living in a fallen world. And, and, you know, fortunately one day, you know, Jesus will wipe away every tear and, and that we won't experience this loss anymore. But as we're going through it, I mean, this Mm -hmm. is a life that's suddenly no longer with us and it's hard. Um, and yeah, you got to wrap your brain around that, I guess, to, to, to fully, uh, be able to mourn with those who mourn. I mean, um, you can't just, I, I think flippantly saying, hey, they're, they're in a better place while true doesn't necessarily help that person in their grief. Right. Exactly. So your, uh, you know, your approach, <laughs> that's one extreme. Uh, <laughs> so how, how do you approach it? What, what do you say to people who are grieving? Um, I, I think it's, it's funny because I, I tend to be a cold fish, <laughs> as you can tell by the fact that, you know, I, I do death law. I, I do something that's very emotionally uncomfortable right. <laughs> and, and approach it from the very, you know, how do we solve problems and how do we prevent problems? Um, so I'm not, um, a great person at understanding grief and a little bit of background on myself, um, is that uh, I lost my dad to cancer when I was 14, and it was very, very fast-acting. It was um, aggressive. Okay. Um, and we had about, he had about an eight-week eight 
battle process, however, you know, however people talk about it. Um, and so I, I'm not good at talking about emotion, but I am good at talking about what it feels like to be on that side of it. And the, the best thing you can do for people is to simply remember that we are to mourn with those who mourn. Mm -hmm. And so when when you are with people who have had that loss, it's when you, when you, I, I think sometimes we tend to use biblical promises as a shortcut to get us out of the uncomfortable situation. Right. 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 We say, we say, well, they're with Jesus now. So then in your mind, you're like, okay, then it's okay. And I can, I can now bring myself away from this uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Simply saying, this sucks. Acknowledging that this, this is painful um, is uh, it, it's some of the most comforting, it's one of the most comforting things you can say. Mm-hmm. Um, because then you're, you're standing there and you're acknowledging that I'm here with you, right? I may not, I may not fully understand or know what it's like to feel like what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I'm mourning with you as yeah. opposed to the, the, um, as opposed to the, um, here's the, here's the bright side of it, or, or you should look at the bright side of it. There's so many connotations you, you can say when you're telling people, um, now he's with Jesus or in a better place or, or it's natural. That's another, that's another one that that's getting to be more common. Right. Um, that almost puts up a wall to say, you shouldn't be feeling, you shouldn't be mourning. Um, and, and, and obviously God, God created us as emotional beings and that's just not, mm-hmm. grief doesn't work that way. You can't just turn it off. Right. Um, and obviously everybody grieves differently. Uh, but, but yeah, you, you have to allow per, people to go through that process and, and, mm-hmm. you, you know, I found as my time with my experience as a pastor, and, and fortunately, I've I've only had to do a couple funerals, and and they were actually relatives, and no one in my youth group or anything died prematurely. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, you know, I found actually sometimes it's not even so much what you say as just being there. Um, yeah. And, and absolutely. Your, yeah, and, and your presence, I think, speaks more than anything you could actually say. Um. Also, too, a lot of people don't, you know, people get inundated right at the beginning, right after it happens. Yeah. And, and I think uh-huh. it's imp- I think it's important to touch base and keep touching base after the fact. I mean, obviously, you don't want to smother anybody, but, you know, just continually let people know, you know, a couple weeks down the road that, hey, I, you know, I'm st- we're still here. I'm still present. You, you know, yeah. whatever you need. Um because it seems like everybody just disappears after, after the funeral. Right. Yep. Yep. And I think there's also a tendency of um, looking at someone in that, in that light of grief constantly mm-hmm. um, that, that they, that they kind of freeze the person in grief to say, okay, that's, that's the grieving person. That's the tragic person. Um, and not see them for the, for the person, you know, in front of them and, and maybe, failing to include them in certain things because you don't know how they're going to feel about it. Well, you know, let them know that they're welcome and let them make that call and let them know, Hey, if you don't, you know, you're welcome to, we don't, 
whatever you feel like you need to do is fine with us, but you're welcome to join us, that kind of thing. Um, it just sends a message that, that um, you're, you're still part of the community. And I think, you know, people in grief, that's a big struggle is not feeling is, is loneliness not only with the person that they're separated from because, you know, because of death, but mm -hmm. separation from the broader community um, because the community is uncomfortable with, with um, the reminder that people die and people are uncomfortable with grief and all of those things. Right. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, yeah. So since you are a death lawyer, how, yeah. from, from a legal, yeah. So let's, yeah, so how how do we prepare, you know, what's the best approach to preparing for our death that, you know, it's going to happen, um, yep. and we need to prepare for it. So what do you yep. recommend? Well, the first thing I think is 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 to have that right attitude of um, of being able to face the fact that, that you're mortal and that you're going to die. Um, I'm a estate planner up in, up in Minnesota just across the border. And we have probably the best example uh, of this with the Prince Estate because we have someone who works with lawyers all the time um, and was very comfortable with dealing with legal issues and having lawyers set up things. Um, so that wasn't the barrier, but it was someone who absolutely did nothing for a plan. Um, and it had to have been that he, did, he was uncomfortable with the thought that he could, that, that he could die. Um, right at his age. So, um, I, it's a very, and it, it's a very common thing, um, that people are uncomfortable with that idea. And so as you wrap your head around your own mortality, as you consider your days, um, and, and do that process, um, it puts you in a better frame of mind to address the issue. So it's less painful. There's less, there's less issues. And something, a reason why I'm so passionate about, um, estate planning is that, Everything on someone's to-do list when they're in the state of grief, mm -hmm. everything that they have to do is salt in the wound, right? Right. Um, and everyone's going to have um, a legal to-do list to get through after a death. Um, that's just kind of, it's unavoidable. Right. But to do the preparation to, to get that to be as easy as possible um, is a gift to the person who's in grief because then you're taking those things that put salt into the wound, you're taking that off the list um, and getting it down as much as possible. Um, so that's why I want people to, to kind of rethink estate planning, not as something as, as a final step in their wealth building journey or um, something you only do when you're wealthy or you, um, you're only thinking about your money or how, you know, taxes or things like that. But you really think of it as what are the legal to-dos that people will have and what can I do to make those easier now? Um, and there's a lot of ways to do that, and it's going to look different for different people. That's why I'm, that's why I'm um, really an advocate of people working with an attorney that can help come up with a plan and not just put documents on them. Because um, the documents might help the to-do list, but if you're not thinking of, a, of your to-do list, you still could have a mess and have have a ton of documents. So, so um, it, it, it's probably I'm sure it varies based on your stage of life as well. Not necessarily the legal mm -hmm. moves, but the things you yeah. have to consider. So, for yeah. just it, it, what are um, just the basic things that everybody will have to you know think through? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so 
um, every adult should think about um, what would happen if, if they're around but unable to do something. And this is, even if you don't have any, you know, any assets, you think about your power to make decisions for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's every, you know, every adult has that. So um, kids that are going off to college and have turned 18, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, kids that are doing anything and have turned 18. Um, they should start to understand that they are an adult, which means if they can't communicate with the medical provider, um, if they can't write a check for rent, no one else has the ability to swoop in and fix something for them. Right. Um, and so they should consider things like um, up here, we call it a healthcare directive. I think Iowa might call it a living will, which is a term that I don't like because it gets con- that confuses it with other documents. But, right. but a, something to say, to tell a hospital, hey, if I can't communicate with you, here's who you should listen to. Here's what I want. Here's the kind of treatment I do want, and here's the kind of treatment I don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, financial power of attorneys to say, um, if if I'm not able to deal with my finances, here's here's someone who I trust to have that kind of power. Okay. Okay. So, um, what do you, as far as parents that, yeah, you know, who have have dependent children still, obviously. Uh-huh. The, there's some other additional things they have to consider. Yep. Um, and parents of young kids are uh, some of the most complicated estates. Um, mm-hmm. Tax laws have really changed in the past, you know, since the, since the 80s. And I think, I think our messaging is still a little bit stuck in the 80s. Um, I'm in one of the worst tax states in the country, and very few people have a tax problem, even in my state. Um so when we talk about complicated estate plans and we're looking at that to-do list, it's parents of, ki- of young kids. First of all, when I'm looking at, at um, a family with young kids, the first thing I want to know is if one spouse passes away, assuming that we want everything to go to the surviving spouse and blended families can maybe change that situation a bit. But mm-hmm. if we want everything to go to the surviving spouse, we want to make sure that's easy as easy as possible. So here's an example um, up in Minnesota where um, on our real estate, spouses don't automatically get it by surviving just because both of their names on the deed. We have to, we have to have special language on the deed that says that, um, which means that two people own a house. So, you know, the couple owns the house. And if we don't have that language, one spouse dies and suddenly the surviving spouse, even though they probably end up with the right to have the house, um, with a little asterisk, well, with a little asterisk, I won't get into, but even though the spouse has the, probably would end up with the house, they still have to go through a court process to get it to them without that wording. And so, and that goes back to the to-do list, right? right? So it isn't simply having a will, it's okay, what is your deed to your house say? It's financial organization, and I think that's really the step that gets missed, um, is looking at the asset and saying, how is this thing going to move? Um, and if one spouse passes away, is it moving in the most efficient way to the survivor? And then thinking through, okay, if both of us aren't here, not only do we have to move assets in a way where there's an adult controlling this for the kids, which is pretty complicated, Yeah. 
but then also who's parenting the kids, which right. can also be complicated. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, that, that's you know, something that my wife. Yeah, that's something my wife and I always discuss. Like, who do we want to raise our kids if something <laughs> happens to us? Right. And then that you got to make sure that person's willing <laughs> to to do yes, that and too. Yes, have the conversation. Right, and that's not easy. Yep. I mean. So, yeah, so all these things you got we need to be thinking about, even if you think, you know, you're going to live until your 70s, 80s, 90s, because you never yeah. know. Um, we, right. No one knows the number of their days. It's never so. on our terms. Right. Yeah. So anything else? Yeah, well, I, I just really encourage people because it can feel overwhelming um, just to even – do you want to say, you know, to get the documents in place feels overwhelming, let alone now suddenly hearing that, oh, there's a, there's this whole step of financial organization to it. You know, who's on your life insurance policy or the right people on your life insurance policy, all of those good things. Right. Um, do you have a life insurance so, policy? Too? Right. Do you have a life insurance policy? Um, and so I encourage people to do to do two things. Um, number one, um, go to my website and organizedafterlife.com and I have a asset checklist, and that helps with the, this important idea of financial organization, knowing what you have and knowing how it's going to transfer. Um, and then the second thing is I encourage people to work with an attorney to get a plan in place, and then they can help show you how do you coordinate your financial organization so that the plan actually happens. For example, if I have a will that gives everything to my spouse, and let's just say I'm um, – this. I've, I've only been married. I'm only, I've only been married once, but let's say I had an ex-spouse and that's when I got the life insurance policy. Um, and I never updated my policy. Well, the life insurance is, they're going to write the check out to the ex, um, you know, and not what my will says and not what makes sense. Um, so, um, so do, do the step of financial organization. I have a PDF on, on my content tab on an organized afterlife called the asset checklist mm -hmm. to help you start to think about that. And then I encourage people to, if you've never done an estate plan, um, to call around uh, to attorneys. I mean, a lot of people just start with, you know, the Google machine, but Google estate planning and your area. Um, um, definitely the state you live in. Um, even down to the county that you live in, because these are the people that are experts on knowing what the to-do list will look like. Mm -hmm. And so they can help guide you in a plan that gets it down to as, as easy of a checklist as possible. And then they can help guide you on what that financial organization would need to do um, along with really good documents to put that plan in place. Great. Well, hey, I appreciate you talking, come, you know, coming on the yeah. podcast and talking about this. Thanks Obviously, so this, this, yeah, very welcome. This is definitely charting new ground for us. This is not a topic we've <laughs> we've discussed before, but it, I it's. Tend, a, I tend to be the yeah, I tend to be the uh, little Mary Sunshine in the room. Right, right. But but obviously, it's not a topic we could avoid. So uh, so thank Correct. you so much. And and uh, so a question I like, uh, if I remember, I like to ask all of my guests, uh, since we are the Caffeinated Thoughts podcast. What's your favorite caffeinated <laughs> drink? Oh, it's easily it's easily Coca Cola, ah. um, because I because I've had an addiction since about kindergarten. Uh -huh. <laughs> My parents didn't care; they let me drink whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, that's been my longstanding addiction is Coca Cola. Um, but I I'm now to the point where I can drink uh, black coffee, which is probably a lot healthier. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yep. All right. Well, hey, Jennifer, thank you so much. And, and uh, we'll be sure to put the link to your website up on the podcast notes as well. So uh, have a good day. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That concludes today's episode of the Caffeinated Thoughts podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you happen to be listening to this podcast somewhere other than on our website, please be sure to check out caffeinatedthoughts.com. Again, that's caffeinatedthoughts.com, or you can just Google Caffeinated Thoughts, and it'll show up at the top of your search screen. Also, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, sign up for our emails. That way you don't miss a single update. If you happen to, uh, well, I would encourage you to, if you haven't already, uh, subscribe to our podcast using a variety of different podcast apps, uh, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Podbean. Uh, we're on all of those. If there's one that we're missing, uh, please drop me a line at shane at caffeinatedthoughts.com, and I'll try to make sure I can I can get that to happen. Till next time, my friends, take care, stay safe, um, practice social distancing. Hopefully things are opening up in your state uh, as they are in, here in Iowa. Until next time, take care, my friends. This is Shane Vanderhart signing off. Mm-hmm.